Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, hello, wherever and whatever you are, and welcome to the season finale of Stories of Your and Yours. And in fact, this will be the final episode to be called by that title, as the show will literally soon be known as Ink and Ash. My name is Sean Ennis, and today I've got a couple of fun stories for you, including a listener-submitted tale. Now, we don't have any new reviews for today, so with the end of the season upon us, let's stick with tradition. If you remember the end of season two, which seems like a lifetime ago, I ran through what is called, or what I called, the state of the show. It's a bit of a peek behind the scenes into where people have been listening from and what they're listening to, so let's take a look. First, let's talk episodes. This season included 20 regular episodes, that's including this one, plus three encores and one bonus episode. That brings the total to 70 episodes since the show started in May of 2018, 13 of which aired in 2020. And I've decided that I'm going to change this tradition up a bit, actually, going forward anyway. Instead of running the numbers by season, I'm going to do it by year. That makes the breaks a little cleaner and also gives me a little less anxiety to have a defined break. So all this is for 2020, and next year we'll run the numbers for 2021. And by the way, if none of this holds any interest for you, feel free to skip it. There's a hyperlink in the show notes that'll take you right to the next segment. But I will add the disclaimer to please don't tap the hyperlinks if you're driving. Be careful out there. Now in 2020, 75% of the show's downloads came from the U.S. That's down from 80% last time we did these numbers, so hooray for more international listeners. A total of 98 countries listened in 2020. The top 10 countries in terms of downloads were the U.S., the U.K., Canada, India, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Ireland, France, and Saudi Arabia. The top three countries remain the same as before, as India, Ireland, and Saudi Arabia enter the top 10 and remove Sweden, Russia, and Germany. And how about the U.S. states with the most listeners? California remains in the top spot, but their margin is shrinking. Last time they had 18% of all U.S. downloads, and now they're at 11%. Still quite a healthy margin, though. Rounding out the rest of the top 10, we have in order Texas, New York, Oregon, Ohio, Minnesota, Virginia, Illinois, Florida, and Michigan. New entries on that list are Oregon, Minnesota, and Michigan, at the expense of my home state of Delaware, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. And as far as the bottom five states, we've got Wyoming pulling themselves out of the basement, West Virginia, Washington, D.C., which is not a state, but we're not getting technical here, then South Dakota, and North Dakota. Hey, Dakotas, get it together, huh? I kid. I love my Dakota listeners. Just tell your friends to tune in, you know? It worked when I told Wyoming to get it together, so let's see if the Dakotas follow suit. Speaking of people who have their acts together, thank you to all my wonderful patrons over at patreon.com slash syypodcast. At the Weaver of Yarns level, we have Lawrence. At the Storytellers level, there's Nick, Julio, Jody, Robert, and Vanessa. And at the Creative Types level, thank you so much to Alan, Dan, Nate, Kayla, Ken, Rob, and Moxie. You all humble me with your support, and I love you all. All right, one more stat, and then we'll get to the next section. I couldn't figure out how to filter my stats to just give me the most popular episodes from last year alone, so we're going to go with the all-time most popular. And I was a little surprised by this, I must say. At the top, with the most downloads ever, is the bonus episode I did right before this year's live stream for The Cure, The Diary of a Madman by Guy de Maupassant, done in one take. I may have to do some more uh, one-take episodes. Next, we have An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge by Ambrose Bierce, then in the third is the Encore episode of Asleep in Armageddon by Ray Bradbury. Fourth is A Kidnapped Santa Claus by L. Frank Baum, which was last year's Christmas episode. And then in fifth, we have the episode that featured the billion-dollar banknote by Agatha Christie and B24 by Arthur Conan Doyle. So it's a bit of an eclectic mix there. 
Now, with this being the season finale, let's talk a little bit about the off-season. This off-season, as in every off-season, I'll be putting out regular episodes for patrons. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do yet, but I'm considering The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson and The Wendigo by Algernon Blackwood, among other things. We'll see how that all shakes out. You can always go over to patreon.com slash syypodcast to see what's shaking over there. Here on the main feed, once I've got the rebrand done, I'll post a bonus episode and let you know all you need to know about what's coming with the rebrand to Ink and Ash. So, now that you know the answers to a bunch of questions you never asked, let's talk about this week's stories. Our first story this week is a listener-submitted tale called The Corpse Nephew by Taft McConkie. Taft is an aspiring writer from Delaware. He enjoys writing almost anything, really, even business process guides. The Corpse Nephew is his first short story involving corpses, and when he's not writing, Taft is a marketing and outreach consultant and enjoys playing Lego with his kids. He also self-published a children's book with his wife, Heidi, called The Mudbird, which I will link to in the show notes, and I actually just bought a copy for myself the other day. The Corpse Nephew first appeared on Taft's website, mcctaft.wordpress.com, which is also linked in the show notes. The story takes place in a fictional environment that's been bouncing around in his head since he was 12, and he actually wrote it to help flesh out some backstory for another story he's supposed to be writing. It was influenced by a mixture of Tolkien, George Lucas, and Chinese folktales. And our second story comes to us from L. Frank Baum and is entitled The Man in the Moon. You may remember we've heard from Baum before, and that was on the aforementioned Christmas episode from last year, A Kidnapped Santa Claus. I'll link to that episode in the show notes in case you want to check out his background. And in the meantime, I can tell you that The Man in the Moon was first published in a collection of bombs called Mother Goose in Prose, where he expounded on some Mother Goose nursery rhymes. And now that you have a little bit more background, let's get into this week's feature presentation. The Corpse Nephew a Folktale of the Daku Daku by Taft McConkie. When the Daku Daku people were young, we lived by the shores of the Kadkiri, the Demon Lake. The Kad, the lake spirits, were mostly harmless, for what can a spirit do to the living? We did not make friends with the Kad, and they, as a rule, left us alone. This is a tale of how a Daku Daku and a Kad, a lake spirit, became friends. In the time past, we honored the Pakura, the rebirth. When one of our people died, we prepared them for the next life with wraps, salt, and spices, preserving their body for its second use. Their heart we planted beneath a tree in honor to their life. Ah, the orchards we grew in memory of our loved ones. The body, now without its heart, was then buried in peace near the demon lake. When the Daku Daku people were young, a water spirit named Rud Rook, the mischief, lived in a corner of the demon lake near our burial site. One day, Rudrook found a body, buried carelessly, too close to the river mud. It must have been from a poor man, or unloved, for it was wrapped in the cheapest of cloth, and he could only smell salt to preserve it. Now the lake demons cannot control the living without permission, for only one can animate the body at a time, but Rudrook knew no one inhabited this body. It was his for the taking. He crawled into the corpse, and that night, under the cover of darkness, he practiced walking and moving like the Daku Daku. Before the next day's dawn, Rudrook had stolen a cloak and sandals and began walking with a shuffle-shuffle gait down the road to the Daku Daku village. An old weaver, Auntie Popa, lived on the outskirts of the village. 
She had no children of her own but a nephew who lived with Antipopa's sister on the far side of the lake, five days' journey for the old woman. Antipopa was nearsighted. When Rudruk's shuffling corpse came down the path, she did not see a dead body. She did not see the burial wraps or the indented chest missing its heart. She did not see the withered hands or the stolen cloak. But Rudruk saw her. Perhaps, he thought, I can play my jokes on her. Daughter's son, Antipopa called. Have you come to visit me from across the lake? Rudruk did not know of Auntie's nephew, but he saw a chance for mischief. With an effort, he made the corpse grunt. I, Oh, dear daughter's son, Antipopa cried. It is so good of you to visit me. I have just finished preparing a meal. Come in. With a shuffle-shuffle and a creak-creak, Rudruk walked into the old woman's home. He had never tasted more than the little fish of the lake, the slippery frogs of the mud, and the slimy roots of the reeds. When he tasted the fresh-baked bread and the butter Antipopa served, the berries and fruit she gave him, all thoughts of mischief left. As long as the woman can make this food, he thought, I will not play the mischief with her, but make her life easier. This human food is so good. And so Rudruk began his life as Antipopa's nephew. He learned to grind the roots and grains for the bread she made. He learned to fetch water from the lake in the leather bag. He learned of, but did not touch, the fire. He did not like that very much, until he learned how it cooked the warm bread. He learned to pour water into an iron pot and watch it boil over the fire. The peaceful waters of the demon lake never did that. He avoided the visitors who brought Antipopa's woven cloth, for he knew that somehow his body was not the same as that of the villagers, except for a man who Antipopa would not sell her cloth to, who smelled of fermented corn and dead wrinkled skin. The village children, however, liked Rudruk. He was funny, and taught them little mischievous tricks that children still play. They laughed at the shuffle-shuffle sound he made when he walked, and showed him the wonders of their world. Flowers picked for their mothers, a hive of honeybees, the whistling sound of wind in the grass. The children called him Antipopa's corpse nephew, for their quick eyes saw the sagging skin and the burial wraps poking out from under his cloak. But if Antipopa trusted him, then he was all right, whether he looked and smelled like a dead man or not. On the fifth night since his rise from the lake, Rudruk's friend looked worried. He asked her, "'What is wrong, Auntie?' "'Oh, my daughter's son,' she said. "'It is the wicked brewer man who I would not sell my cloth to,' and she began to cry. "'Man who smells of rotting grain and death?' Rudruk asked. "'Yes,' Antipopa said. "'And I should not have crossed him. He is violent and a coward, and he entices weak men with his strong drink. He wanted my cloth to woo a bride.' I will not give my cloth to help him ensnare a naive girl, but when he comes here again it will be at night with his bullies. She began to cry again, and Rudruk shuffled to her. Antipopa, I will not let him hurt you, he said. I will stop the rotting grain man. Oh, my daughter's son, she cried. His bullies will overpower you. No, Rudruk said softly, and the eyes of the corpse glowed dimly blue. They will not. Now, he thought, grinning to himself, is the time for mischief. So Rudruk prepared to defend his antipopa. From a young tree he fashioned a tall staff. From reeds and dried beans he made shakers. With clay he made a giant bowl. With care he dried it over a slow fire, and slowly he filled it with bags of water from the lake. By the time night fell on the sixth day, Rudruk was ready. On the night of his seventh day, Rudruk sat on the door of Antipopa's home, listening. Suddenly he heard the soft tramping tramping of men. 
Rudrook shuffled to the tall grass and sat again, watching the path. Three men holding short spears approached. One was the brewer man. He stepped up to Antipopa's door and raised his spear to knock it in. Then he gasped at a sound. Rattle, 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 rattle. A voice echoed from the grass. Who disturbs the friend of the cad? Who awakens the bones of the water spirits? Rattle, 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 rattle. The brewer man shivered. He did not know Antipopa was a friend of the water spirits. Rattle, rattle, shuffle, shuffle. The bones of the water spirits sounded closer. The cad demand an answer. Rattle, rattle, shuffle, shuffle. Those who do not answer the cad will answer to the waters of Cadiri. A crack sounded above the door. The three men screamed as the waters of the demon lake fell upon them. Shuffle, shuffle, rattle, rattle. Behold the fate of those who anger the waters of Cadiri. Tap, tap, tap. Three taps on three heads. The men turned and screamed again. The body of a dead man stared at them. Glowing blue eyes swirled like angry waters. Moist burial wraps dragged on the ground. With a yell, the brewer man stabbed the corpse through the heart. But no heart was there to stop his spear, and the echoing voice of the lake spirits laughed. Rattle, rattle. So you have chosen my fate. The arms of the corpse rose and caressed the cheeks of the brewer man. I will leave. I will not bother Antipopa, the brewer man whimpered. The rattle of bones stopped. Go and the three men ran, tripping over themselves far, far away from Antipopa and her lake spirit. Daughter, son, Antipopa called from inside. Are they gone? Yes, Rudrook said, smiling. They are gone. No one ever found out how Antipopa had managed to scare off the brewer man, but the next morning the village children found rattles in the grass by Antipopa's home. Later, the corpse nephew could be seen dragging the broken halves of the giant clay bowl off her roof. And that is how one of the Daku Daku became friends with the cad. The Man in the Moon by L. Frank Baum The Man in the Moon came tumbling down and inquired the way to Norwich. He went by the south and burned his mouth while eating cold peas porridge. <clears throat> yeah, so you know, the next, you're right. What? What? Have you never heard the story of the Man in the Moon? No, then I must surely tell it, for it is very amusing, and there is not a word of truth in it. The man in the moon was rather lonesome, and often he peeked over the edge of the moon and looked down upon the earth and envied all the people who lived together, for he thought it must be vastly more pleasant to have companions to talk to than to be shut up in a big planet all by himself where he had to whistle to keep himself company. One day he looked down and saw an alderman sailing up through the air towards him. This alderman was being translated instead of being transported owing to a misprint in the law, and as he came near the man in the moon called to him and said, how is everything down on earth? Everything is lovely, replied the alderman, and I wouldn't leave it if I was not obliged to. What's a good place to visit down there? inquired the man in the moon. Oh, Norwich is a mighty fine place, returned the alderman, and it's famous for its peas porridge. 
and then he sailed out of sight and left the man in the moon to reflect upon what he had said. The words of the alderman made him more anxious than ever to visit the earth, and so he walked thoughtfully home, and put a few lumps of ice in the stove to keep him warm, and sat down to think how he should manage the trip. You see, everything went by contraries in the moon, and when the man wished to keep warm he knocked off a few chunks of ice and put them in his stove, and he cooled his drinking water by throwing red-hot coals of fire into the pitcher. Likewise, when he became chilly, he took off his hat and coat, and even his shoes, and so became warm, and in the hot days of summer he put on his overcoat to cool off. All of this seems very queer to you, no doubt, but it wasn't at all queer to the man in the moon, for he was accustomed to it. Well, he sat by his ice-cool fire and thought of his journey to earth, and finally he decided the only way he could get there was to slide down a moonbeam. So he left the house and locked the door and put the key in his pocket, for he was uncertain how long he should be gone, and then he went to the edge of the moon and began to search for a good strong moonbeam. At last he found one that seemed rather substantial and reached right down into a pleasant-looking spot on the earth and so he swung himself over the edge of the moon and put both arms tight around the moonbeam and started to slide down. But he found it rather slippery, and in spite of all his efforts to hold on, he found himself going faster and faster, so that just before he reached the earth he lost his hold and came tumbling down head over heels and fell plump into a river. The cool water nearly scalded him before he could swim out, but fortunately he was near the bank and he quickly scrambled upon the land and sat down to catch his breath. By that time it was morning, and as the sun rose its hot rays cooled him off somewhat, so that he began looking about curiously at all the strange sights and wondering where on earth he was. By and by a farmer came along the road by the river with a team of horses, drawing a load of hay, and the horses looked so odd to the man in the moon that at first he was greatly frightened, never before having seen horses except from his home in the moon from whence they looked a good deal smaller. But he plucked up courage and said to the farmer, "'Can you tell me which way to Norwich, sir?' Norwich, repeated the farmer musingly. I don't know exactly where it'd be, but it's somewhere away in the south. Thank you, said the man in the moon. But stop, I must not call him the man in the moon any longer, for of course he was now out of the moon, so I'll simply call him the man, and you'll know by that which man I mean. Well, the man in the... I mean the man. <laughs> I nearly forgot what I had just said. The man turned to the south and began walking briskly along the road, for he had made up his mind to do as the alderman had advised and travel to Norwich, that he might eat some of the famous peas porridge that was made there. And finally, after a long and tiresome journey, he reached the town and stopped at one of the first houses he came to, for by this time he was very hungry indeed. A good-looking woman answered his knock at the door, and he asked politely, "'Is this the town of Norwich, madam?' "'Surely this is the town of Norwich,' returned the woman." "'I came here to see if I could get some peas porridge,' continued the man, "'for I hear you make the nicest porridge in the world in this town.' "'That we do, sir,' answered the woman, "'and if you'll step inside I'll give you a bow, "'for I have plenty in the house that is newly made.' "'So he thanked her and entered the house, and she asked, "'Will you have it hot or cold, sir?' "'Oh, cold by all means,' replied the man, "'for I detest anything hot to eat.' "'She soon brought him a bowl of cold peas porridge, "'and the man was so hungry that he took a big spoonful at once.' But no sooner had he put it into his mouth than he uttered a great yell and began dancing frantically around the room, for of course the porridge that was cold to earth folk was hot to him, and the big spoonful of cold peas porridge had burned his mouth to a blister. Oh, "'What's the matter?' asked the woman. "'Matter?' screamed the man. "'Why, your porridge is so hot it has burned me!' "'Fiddlesticks,' she replied. "'The porridge is quite cold.' "'Try it yourself,' he cried. 
so she tried it and found it very cold and pleasant. But the man was so astonished to see her eat the porridge that had blistered his own mouth that he became frightened and ran out of the house and down the street as fast as he could go. The policeman on the first corner saw him running and promptly arrested him, and he was marched off to the magistrate for trial. "'What is your name?' asked the magistrate. "'I haven't any.' For, of course, as he was the only man in the moon, it wasn't necessary he should have a name. "'Come, come, no nonsense,' said the magistrate. "'You must have some name. Who are you?' "'Why, I'm the man in the moon.' "'That's rubbish,' said the magistrate, eyeing the prisoner severely. "'You may be a man, but you're not in the moon. You're in Norwich.' "'That is true,' answered the man, who was quite bewildered by this idea. "'And, of course, you must be called something,' continued the magistrate. Uh, "'Well, then,' said the prisoner, "'if I am not the man in the moon, I must be the man out of the moon, so call me that.' "'Very good,' replied the judge. "'Now, then, where did you come from?' Mm, "'The moon.' "'Oh, you did, eh? How did you get here?' "'I slid down a moonbeam.' "'Indeed. Well, what were you running for?' Uh, "'A woman gave me some cold peas porridge, and it burned my mouth.' The magistrate looked at him a moment in surprise, and then he said, "'This person is evidently crazy, so take him to the lunatic asylum and keep him there.' This surely would have been the fate of the man had there not been present an old astronomer who had often looked at the moon through his telescope, and so had discovered that what was hot on earth was cold in the moon, and what was cold here was hot there. So he began to think that the man had told the truth." Therefore he begged the magistrate to wait a few minutes while he looked through his telescope to see if the man in the moon was there. So, as it was now night, he fetched his telescope and looked at the moon, and found that there was no man in it at all. "'It seems to be true,' said the astronomer, "'that the man has got out of the moon somehow or other. Let me look at your mouth, sir, and let me see if it is really burned.' Then the man opened his mouth, and everyone saw plainly it was burned to a blister. Thereupon the magistrate begged his pardon for doubting his word, and asked him what he would like to do next. "'I'd like to get back to the moon,' said the man, "'for I don't like this earth of yours at all. The nights are too hot.' "'Why, it's quite cool this evening,' said the magistrate. "'I'll tell you what we can do,' remarked the astronomer. "'There's a big balloon in town which belongs to the circus that came here last summer, and was pawned for a board bill. We can inflate this balloon and send the man out of the moon home in it.' "'That's a good idea,' replied the judge. So the balloon was brought and inflated, and the man got into the basket and gave the word to let go, and then the balloon mounted up into the sky in the direction of the moon. The good people of Norwich stood on the earth and tipped back their heads and watched the balloon go higher and higher, until finally the man reached out and caught hold of the edge of the moon, and behold, the next minute he was the man in the moon again. After this adventure he was well contented to stay at home, and I've no doubt if you look through a telescope, you will see him there to this day. Well, now you know about the Daku Daku people, and you heard about the time the man in the moon left home. Not a bad day at the office, huh? Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and this season of Stories of Your and Yours. I can't thank you enough for listening to the show, whether you've been here since the beginning or this is your first time listening, thank you for tuning in. I've got a lot more good stuff coming your way, so make sure you stick around. There'll be news and at least one or two bonus episodes during the off-season, plus all the bonus content over on the Patreon page, patreon.com slash syypodcast. So don't be a stranger. I'll be back soon with more stories before you know it.
Until then, this has been Stories of Your and Yours, soon to be known as Ink and Ash. I've been Sean Ennis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.